Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion championship team. Man, promotions and signings and stuff, guys going to big leagues, things with the last podcast of May. It's This is crazy. It's going to be a crazy one. This is a crazy one. It's a crazy one, Sam. <laughs> we're already predicting that. We're, we're yeah, starting out this way. We're starting way. out. Now, we, now we've added pressure to ourselves. We know three strikes this week is two promotions and one big signing, so we're, we're flying through it. We're tearing things up in the last, last podcast of May. Yeah. Madness. I think yeah. It, we, I think we started out May. Those of, uh, those of you who have listened at the beginning, we were saying, I don't know if there's anything notable about May. Well, we're going to make sure there's something notable about this last one. Riding high in April. Shot down in May, as Frank Sinatra would have said. Um, hey, welcome in, everybody. It is the 111th episode of the show before the show podcast from MILB.com. He's Sam Dykstra. I am Tyler Mon. Uh Yeah, we got some big news. We got some good stuff coming up on the show for you today. Going to talk about some promotions, one big international free agent signing um, that if you are in Chicago, you certainly heard about this week. And uh, before we get to all of that, uh, thanks for tuning into the show before the show, all 111 episodes of this lovely little podcast. You can find it at MILB.com slash podcast, and you can find as well at iTunes and the Stitcher app. We've got an RSS feed linked on the podcast site, MILB.com slash podcast as well, and you can give us a rating and a review and a subscription and uh, help us out. Give us some uh, give us some love on itunes and on stitcher and elsewhere and help uh, everybody else that you know and love find the show and uh with that uh what's going on in new york sam uh not not too much is going on here um i, I have a surprise later for ben that, what? I'm tease, that i teased for ben and i uh yeah so i'll just li- leave that at that okay um and that's pretty much where my head's at is just making sure i actually have it with me um but yeah no surprise like happy news from Ben that we'll get to later too, that I just talked to him about before we got on air, uh, that is unrelated. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, that's pretty much where my head's at is cool. what we're going to do with Ben in a couple uh, segments. Here. Man, that's, that sets that's a tease, so isn't it? I'm yeah, not, I'm seriously. not a big tease person. Jeez Louise, Sam. Yeah. What about, what about in Denver? Uh, no, not much. You know, we're, uh, we're flying along. It's finally it sort of feels like it's going to be summer soon. Um, last week it snowed here. 
and uh so that was annoying but now it's kind of it's kind of starting to feel like it it's it's full-on getting to baseball weather all the time which is terrific um and i only talk about the snow regularly on the podcast so everybody stops moving here that's my whole point um <laughs> but yeah no things are good it's uh i have not yet made it to a uh, a minor league game this year though i gotta get down to colorado springs soon and check out that talented brewers AAA affiliate um at security service field in colorado springs but uh it'll happen soon we're getting there it's been uh i feel like you can just show up like at the gate and tell people you know brett phillips and they'll just... <laughs> um i brought his pet possum is that can i just walk it's, in yeah with this that's how it goes that's I'm how everybody greets brett phillips. for the possum wrangler <laughs> uh, excuse me oh no we know exactly what you mean Come on, that's just a standard greeting for brett phillips in the brewer system it's great um so hey let's get started three strikes as we kick off each and every episode of the show before the show we will get things started with uh one of two big promotions that we'll talk about for this week and this one is a very big one the new york yankees have sent their top prospect from double a trenton to triple a scranton wilkesbury glaber torres makes the climb um getting promoted after after 32 games in double a slash line of 273 367 496 five homers a triple 10 doubles 10 runs 18 runs batted in and 22 runs scored um the yankees generally have really been big on letting guys kind of dominate a level and thoroughly conquer a level before they promote them 32 games at the double-A level for Glaber Torres, who was acquired, of course, last year in the trade that sent Aroldis Chapman to the Chicago Cubs. Um, that's a – it's I don't want to – it's not a small sample size, but it is a smaller sample size than I think what we're used to seeing in a lot of promotions in that organization, but pretty impressive for Torres. Yeah, for sure. Um, he, you know, I remember that quote that's always stuck with me that Brian Cashman had in the um, – that I heard from him at the winter meetings this year, and I think he told a couple of reporters before that, was that Torres needed to be baptized in the Eastern League, in the cold waters of the Eastern League. Just get him used to cold weather. So literary. See how he does there. And obviously he had an injury that took him out for a little while in April. But otherwise, you know, he, he's performed almost exactly how we thought he would. He's, he's been a solid hitter. Uh, 273, you know, 863 OPS, five homers in 32 games. Solid defender. They've moved him around a bunch. They're trying to figure out exactly what to do with him in terms of where does he fit in this Yankees puzzle. He's mostly at shortstop, 19 games there, but six games at third, five games at second. Um, moving him around has yet to make an error this year. Again, it, as I think I always try to say, uh, errors aren't exactly the best way to judge performance, but you know he hasn't muffed a ball this year, hasn't overthrown, hasn't you know, made a bad catch, whatever. Um, so he's really hit all of his targets. And it's one of those things that I, I've had conversations with Yankees player development, you know, director v, or vice president uh, Gary Denbo in the past. And he's just kind of a guy, you ask him a question where, you know, why did you guys decide to move him up this quickly? And he said, he's ready. Uh, and the story here was, you know, Cashman was hearing that Torres was passing all the tests uh, he turned to Denbo, what do you think? And he said, yeah, you know, there's really not much else we can do here with him. Um, so we might as well push him now. Uh, you know, it, it's not the dominant numbers that sometimes we talk about with, with players in terms of, well, he's obviously doing everything. It, you know, there's certainly some room for improvement uh, with Torres. But the fact that he certainly wasn't struggling, um, that he was, you know, hitting the ball real well at age 20 at double A, they decided – you know, he, he's ready for that kick and we'll we'll see what happens next. 
Um, that Scranton Wilkesbury lineup was already really impressive. You know, Clint Frazier is the one who sticks out, but Fowler, Dustin Fowler is having a great year uh, so far with that team. He, he's probably the MVP of it very early on. Um, and, you know, just another piece of the puzzle fits in. Now the question is, that's great that they're pushing him and they want him, you know, to get that more experience, get that bigger of a challenge. But the the question is what's next after that? You know, first they want to see him do well in AAA, but exactly what are they pushing him toward? You know, like I said, they're, they're getting him experience all over the infield. But, you know, they're, they're set at shortstop right now with Didi Gregorius. Uh, you know, Starlin Castro is their mainstay at second. Chase Headley's having a much improved year than the beginning of last year that he had at this time. Um, is is are they preparing Torres to knock one of those guys off, or is this turning into a, you know, something like we talked about last week with with Ian Happ? Is that if he continues doing well, well, we'll just throw him into the mix and kind of figure out lineups uh, on a daily basis from there. That's that's a ways off. Um, we don't necessarily need to have that conversation right now. He's only just getting to AAA. Uh, we're recording this on Tuesday. He's making his Rail Riders debut this this evening. So by the time you're hearing this, he'll probably have a couple games under his belt. Um, but you know, it, it, we have to start thinking that way. If the Yankees are pushing him this aggressively already, probably means they're willing to push him aggressively again. And exactly how he fits in that it, it is yet to be seen. So that's something we'll have to keep an eye on. Is, how much they spread him out defensively or if they just kind of keep him at shortstop and occasional games here and there at second and third. Well, and we heard about that before the beginning of the season um, with Gleyber Torres, that he was going to see action in other places and the Yankees wanted him to, I mean, this is becoming the, the newest buzzword around baseball, but the Yankees wanted him to be versatile. They wanted some versatility in his game defensively, but he's played uh, the vast majority of his games this season at shortstop, but he's also seen some action at second base and at third base this year. Um, so he does have the ability to move around a little bit. Interestingly enough though, uh, in the handful of games that he's com played combined at second and short. He has gone seven for 39 in total in those games. It's a 179 combined average. Uh, at short, he's batted 342 in 76 at bats. He's gone 26 for 76. So obviously there's a comfort level playing short and those are small sample sizes, but that's something to, to keep an eye on for guys as they adjust to playing different positions. Um, it's not necessarily always connected, but there is a, lar a lot of times a large connection between the fact that you're just not comfortable in the field sometimes playing a new position and that can translate over. Um, so there's still work to be done, but I think that's kind of key the way you put it. Uh, that's the, the graduation mark for organizations comes not when it looks like, oh, this guy is really good. It's when is there nothing left to work on at this level? That's really the benchmark that teams always want prospects to hit at certain minor league levels. It isn't necessarily a certain number of games or a certain number of at-bats. If guys get to a point where the organization looks at them and says, okay, this is right now passing grade and everything we've tried with him. Let's see how he can do at the next level. That's where the line is drawn to make a promotion. So even though it's only 32 games and that's impressive, it's because Glaber Torres really asserted that issue on his own. And uh, it's, you know, if you're a Yankees fan, obviously you got to be pretty excited about what's going on at the major league level. But the fact that, I mean, this really kind of feels like the Cubs a couple of years ago in that there were guys who were up at the major league level and contributing, but there was also this big wave that was coming right behind them, um, which I know for, for fans of everybody else in the American League East is not really something that you want to hear. But, uh, I mean, the guys behind the big league roster already at AA Trenton and at AAA Scranton-Wilkes-Barre are extremely good and they're getting better. And uh, you got to be pretty excited if you're a Yankees fan right now. 
Yeah, one thing I want to throw out there, just in terms of uh, we've maybe seen a little bit of this before, and I'm not comping these two players, just in terms of using them as case studies. But uh, back in 2015, Carlos Correa also started the year when he was just 20 years old. He only played 29 games at Double A Cor- Corpus Christi uh, before he got the bump to Triple A Fresno, and then you know later that year made his major league debut on June 8th. Um, I don't think Torres is exactly on that track. Uh, you know, Correa was hitting 385 at Double A before he got the bump, uh, and then performed pretty well at Triple A. And there was an obvious need for a shortstop in that or- Astros organization, whereas that doesn't exactly exist with the Yankees. But I think we're seeing more of a blueprint in terms of guys who we think are top five overall prospects. Um, like you said, Tyler, that I think put it really well is just, is. You don't necessarily just need to look at the stats. You need to look at, you know, what are they doing on a daily basis? Do they feel like they're being challenged? If they're not, then the whole point is to challenge these guys, you know, make them sharper tools, push them. Uh, you want them to be below the level. Once they go above the level, that's when you make the jump. So if they've already passed that test, then that's when you move them. Uh, for guys like Correa or Torres, who are just so skilled, that's going to happen much quicker than it is when with your average prospect, who usually takes about half a year to get to that level where they're at least equal to the level or above it. Um, so, yeah, that, again, we'll have to, to see what happens next with Torres, but um, this is very encouraging uh, start to 2017. So that's one guy in the American League East to get excited about. Another one we'll be talking about here momentarily, but we are going to shift our focus to the American League Central Division, where the Chicago White Sox uh, have reeled in the biggest fish on the international market, and that is the Cuban outfield prospect Luis Robert, who is ranked number one among amateur international players, according to MLB Pipeline, a deal that is expected to be worth more than $25 million uh, and likely 26 to 27 million when all is said and done. That's according to Jesse Sanchez of MLB.com. Um, that would, as of right now, be the second highest bonus for an international amateur under the current signing guidelines. And that will basically draw an end to that era, especially with Cuban players. Jeff Passan of Yahoo Sports had a really good column about this earlier in the week. Uh, because of the restructuring and the collective bargaining agreement, these deals are basically going to be done when it comes to signing the young international amateur talent from Cuba. You're not going to be seeing these massive deals like we saw with Yohan Mankata when he signed for $31.5 million back in 2015 because it's the, the definition of the age range for international amateurs has changed. Uh, guys now will be older when they can sign those deals and therefore will sign for less money teams will be able to offer them less money um one of the reasons why we're we're hearing so much constantly about whether or not uh, you're going to see some guys leave places like Korea or Japan at certain ages um, because, you know, Shohei Otani is the one who comes to mind because of the way that's been restructured. So this really brings an end to that era for these massive deals for young Cuban players. But Luis Robert seems to be, as of right now, uh, the real deal. I mean, it's, it's definitely a, a different situation when you're signing a guy out of Cuba because you haven't seen him quite as often as you've been able to scout somebody like for example, Shohei Otani, who is a, a consensus top talent on the international market, but is not somebody who's probably coming over to the big leagues this year uh, at the end of the season. But a five-tool guy uh, via the the scouting community, he was the top prospect on MLB Pipeline's top 30 international prospects list. Um, that ranks everybody who was available during each signing period. 
last month he was declared a free agent by Major League Baseball in the Serie Nacional in Cuba, which is the top domestic league in Cuba. He batted 393 with 12 homers and 11 stolen bases. He's a right-handed hitter. Um, he can play center field. He profiles as a center fielder. There is some discussion as to whether or not he will stick there or if he's going to be more than likely confined to a corner outfield spot. If he is, is the bat good enough to keep him at a corner outfield spot? That all obviously remains to be seen, but uh, the White Sox uh, look to be landing in. The St. Louis Cardinals were in on him pretty late and uh, an exciting talent and uh, really important for more ways than just the fact that he's good on the field because he does kind of close an era of this. Yeah, no, I think that's a great point to make is just that with all the things going into the new CBA, um, you know, like you mentioned, Tyler, in terms of Otani, um, you know, what is his timing going to be in terms of his age limit? You know, how much teams can actually sign him for if he comes out this year, it's going to severely restrict him. Uh, if he waits two years, then that's a little bit of a risk, but it's also potentially could be, you know, uh, what nine figure deal for a guy like him. Uh, Robert's not exactly in that category in which he's going to get a nine figure deal, but this is, um, maybe the last one we're going to see in that kind of Moncada Robert mold, um, just because teams are literally, there's no more like soft cap or anything like that. They are not allowed more to spend, uh, more than a certain amount of money. So for a talent like this to come out when he did, it's good timing for him. He can kind of cash in, uh, the fact that he signs of the white Sox, um, you know, Chicago, I'm sure, is over the moon about that because they add another piece to their rebuilding effort. Uh, we know how much they did this offseason, adding Moncada, Kopech, Giolito, Lopez, you know, adding Zach Collins in the draft last year, uh, adding Zach Birdie in the draft last year. Uh, this is a team that is obviously up and coming through its farm system. They add another piece, and it's, he's a really, really talented one. Uh, he's got, you know, his best tool is his run tool. That's what allows him to be so good in center field. Um, like Tyler said, whether he sticks there is, is kind of up for debate. We'll have to see. Probably doesn't have the arm for right, but he could play him left. Uh, if he does, he's got some pretty good pop. Uh, if, you, if you get a chance to watch him, I know Baseball America has some videos of him hitting. Uh, you get to see the, his fluid swing. Uh, he's listed at six foot three, 205 pounds, at only just 19, so you think he can even maybe add it fill out even a little bit more, adding even a little bit more power uh, as things come along. Uh, the fact that he signed with the, the White Sox, thing that's very interesting to me about that was this is maybe the organization that I most uh, think about in terms of adding Cuban players. Uh, you know, Mini Minoso is obviously the one that stands out, uh, one of the best Cuban players of all time in the majors. But Jose Abreu, they added him. Um, I remember this offseason when Mankato was feeling really bad about being traded from the Red Sox, the team he signed with, the team he chose. Uh, Abreu gave him a call and said, listen, this organization knows how to treat, you know, they know where we're coming from. They're going to make this easy for you. Um, you know, you have this organization with me. I'll, I'll help you every step of the way. Uh, so now Ro Robert not only has Abreu, but he also has Mankata in the system. Uh, they won't be playing together for a while. Uh, it'll be interesting to see where Robert ends up. Uh, you know, based on what I've read in Baseball America, it sounds like he's going to either be at Class A Kannapolis or Class A Advanced Winston-Salem, um, probably based on how well he performs, you know, after getting some looks in extended spring training. But, uh, you know, the fact that he already has that group in place, 
uh, must have been a, a huge helping for him, um, knowing what that organization can do for a guy coming from you know a country like that, coming from uh, similar circumstances. So, uh, yeah, this White Sox system already super interesting. Um, I th- I think Roberts he's not gonna quite touch Moncada because we know what Moncada can do in the minors. We haven't seen that from Robert yet. Um, I think he slots into that number two or three spot in that organization. We'll have to see how MLB.com ranks them, but he's a definite top 100 prospect. Um, you know, he was ranked above Kevin Maiton in that 2016-2017 uh, international class. Maiton is number 90 right now in MLB.com's ranking. Uh, has yet to play because he's being held back for short season ball uh, by the Braves. Um, but I expect Robert to come in at least higher than 90, if not significantly higher. Uh, he certainly has the skill set. And once he establishes himself, he has definitely the, the package to climb even higher than that. And it is pronounced Luis Robert. We were we were wondering um, throughout the signing period if it was Luis Robert or something like that. But it is Robert. So if you're a White Sox fan, yeah. now you know. Now you can have a conversation about Luis Robert. And uh, and you can be confident in your, in your pronunciation. Um, one other note, Jesse Sanchez, who if you don't follow Jesse Sanchez on Twitter or read his stuff at MLB.com, you really should because he's fantastic. He's got his, his finger on the pulse of everything on the international market. Um, but he noted, uh, quote, what's more, Chicago has not been linked to any high-profile prospects for the next international signing period that starts July 2nd, which bodes well because the club will enter the maximum penalty and cannot sign players for more than $300,000 after blowing past their current pool amount by signing Robert. That's one of the big reasons why the Boston Red Sox, the New York Yankees, the Chicago Cubs, some of these teams were not in on Luis Robert as they're already in that penalty period. So they would have to pay dollar for dollar, basically the amount of money they give to him. They'd have to pay in a penalty for having already blown by that pool money. Um, so that again, I'd, uh, I'd, I'd suggest you go read Jeff Pazin's column from Yahoo on why exactly this era is coming to an end of these big money deals for some of the international Cuban guys, especially the amateurs uh, coming out of Cuba. But um, it's really interesting stuff. And Luis Robert going to be an exciting talent coming in to the Chicago White Sox organization. Uh, strike three this week, Sam. Hi, everybody. Uh, this is Sam. Uh, just jumping in here with a quick update. Uh, as you've probably heard or will hear here on the podcast, we recorded this episode on Tuesday. Um, shortly after we recorded, uh, news broke later that day or that night, I believe, um, that Anthony Alford, who is the subject of our third strike here that you're here, about to hear in a second, uh, fractured his hamate bone in his left wrist, uh, putting him on the 10-day disabled list with the Blue Jays. Uh, Alfred, as you'll recall, got off to a really hot start. We're about to talk about that uh, at AA New Hampshire before getting called up to the Blue Jays for his major league debut. Um, No timeline has been given for his recovery. Uh, It's usually around six weeks for him. Um, And the interesting thing from that point of view is that during those six weeks, he will continue to accrue Major League Service time uh, in a way that we didn't believe he was going to. Um, as you're about to hear me and Tyler discuss, um, we didn't expect him to be in the majors long. Obviously, this injury puts him on the Major League disabled list. That's going to affect his service time as things kind of progress with him in his recovery uh, and in his career. You know, these are just adding days to the amount of service time he's accrued, and that will affect contracts and. Uh, free agency and arbitration going on down the line, which 
I'm sure we'll discuss at a later date. Uh, but before we get into this topic, I just wanted to give you all an update. Um, but we also wanted to leave it in just to give you an idea of, of what Alfred's situation was uh, when he was called up. Um, all of that's still relevant. It's just we're pushing this back by, again, about six weeks. Um, so I hope you're enjoying the podcast. And uh, now we're going to turn it back over to Strike 3. We had a surprise promotion in the minor leagues, I think, at Glaber Torres, and we have a surprise promotion out of the minor leagues, certainly in the outfield prospect and the number three prospect in the Toronto Blue Jays organization, Anthony Alford, who has made the jump all the way from AA New Hampshire to the big leagues. Uh, with AA New Hampshire this year, he batted 325, 411, 455, 10 extra base hits, 18 runs scored, nine steals. He played 33 games there. We've talked about Anthony Alford a lot on the podcast. I know we discussed at times this year, it looked like maybe he he would be a guy who could reach the major leagues. I don't think we at all expected him to make the jump directly uh, from double A up there, but obviously there was some juggling at the major league level roster wise, Kevin Pillar, the suspension, et cetera. Um, and Anthony offered one of the most dynamic talents in minor league baseball. And if you haven't heard his story, former college football player committed to play quarterback at Southern Miss uh, played at Ole Miss for a while as well juggled football and baseball for a time and then a few years ago finally said no I'm gonna I'm gonna be a, a full-time baseball guy and that was after just 25 minor league games in total in his career he was drafted in the first round in 2012 it was at the end of 2014 when he said no I'm gonna commit to baseball full-time and now he is flying uh, the start to this season was really eye-opening for Anthony Alford and making it to the big leagues is one heck of a jump for a guy like that but this is really exciting for the Blue Jays because as we've discussed I think for a time it was oh he's already missed so much he's missed so many at bats and so many games is he going to be able to put it together it certainly looks like it right now yeah but the timing of it is just in intriguing to me you mentioned Kevin Pillar's suspension um, I have the feeling that Alfred's probably going to go back down after this this is not necessarily um, you know, like I said earlier in the show, you know, an Ian Happ situation or a Cody Bellinger situation in which, uh, you know, they perform so well that they're, they have to shoehorn them into the lineup somehow. Um, Alfred has gone over six in his first three games, not obviously not a huge sample size, but, and that's not why I think he's going to be sent down. I think it's just, they want him to play every day. That's why he was at double a, that's where they could get him at bats. Um, they're not going to have him sit behind Pilar when Pilar gets back. But still, the fact that this happened um, means, A, they're willing to reward him for his early hot start, and B, they want him to get that taste of the majors. I mean, we can't really uh, emphasize that enough, is that we talk to guys and they, they go up to that, that, that ma the major league level, and sometimes they talk about they want to stick, and sometimes they get sent back down, but at least you know what it's like up there. You don't have to go up there with big stars in your eyes anymore. You don't have to worry about what is it going to mean, what what is it going to uh, – you know, what is that first step back going to be like after you get that first taste? Now it's just about going about your business. Um, so the fact that they're willing to give him that already is, is interesting. Um, again, go back to what I was saying at the beginning here in terms of the timing just being a little strange because as good as he was in April and he was hitting 356 in April, had a 934 OPS uh, with two homers and five doubles in 19 games. Um, as good as he was then, it, he's kind of tailed off a bit. And again, that you know, that hot start, we didn't think he was going to hit 356 for the whole year. But in May, uh, for the Fisher Cats, he was hitting 280 uh, with a 770 OPS and only three extra base hits in, in 14 games. Um, so, you know, I think double A arms are starting to get a little bit more of a scouting report on him, starting to figure him out a little bit more. It could have just been, 
you know, the random variance of the early season was starting to figure itself out. Um, I don't think he was ready necessarily, certainly for a jump to the majors. I wouldn't say he was ready to get promoted to AAA just yet because of uh, the way uh, the league was reacting to him. But, you know, the, he is on, he was on the 40-man. He was added uh, last November. Um, so this didn't require an extra roster move. All they had to do was just, you know, re- recall him from AA New Hampshire. Um, and, you know, the fact that they do this, that again, they get his feet wet. He gets that first taste. Maybe that's what helps him overcome this. Maybe, you know, he talks to some hitting coaches at the major league level. He, he eventually gets sent back to the Fisher Cats, um, gets on another hot streak, and then we're talking about him in Buffalo and then pushing for Toronto again. Or, you know, unforeseen injuries happen and, and he's pushing for uh, Toronto again from New Hampshire. We, we can't. Yeah, we didn't see this coming. We can't exactly predict the future in terms of Toronto's roster situation. Uh, but the Blue, Blue Jays certainly needed kind of a kick in the you know in the pants in terms of the way their season has gone, the way their off- offense has gone. And uh, Alfred, you know, with the, the start he had, at least there's some optimism behind him now. Um, what he does with this opportunity, we'll have to kind of wait and see. But, um, yeah, I think before we try to – say that this is going to be the next Cody Bellinger or Ian Happ or Bradley Zimmer or anything like that in terms of guys sticking. I think I think this is going to kind of be the one that kind of breaks that mold in terms of top 100 prospects who, who get to the majors and stick there. Yeah, and, um, you know, like we've discussed so many times, a, a really very talented very adaptable player. The fact that he's gotten into certain levels without a ton of experience and has really been able to get them figured out pretty quickly. That doesn't necessarily translate to the major league level guys. Uh, that's the biggest jump. I mean, you can make some very difficult jumps in the minor leagues, but that triple A to major league jump and especially a double A to major league jump is extremely difficult. The one thing that I do really like about Anthony Alford this year, and I think really speaks to the fact that he could have some strong success. His strikeout rate this season is 17%. That is by far the lowest of his career last year. With Class A advanced in Eden, he struck out in 29.2% of his at-bats. So there is a, a growth that has happened there in the step to double-A, which is big and difficult, too, to get to double-A and be a guy who all of a sudden – is working walks, is being patient, is not swinging out of his comfort zone, not swinging out of where he should be swinging. I think that projects well for Anthony Alford. Um, but he is a fun player to watch, man. He's a really fun player to watch. And yeah, oh, not yeah. everybody's going to be Cody Bellinger. We know that, but it's uh, it's it's so you have to temper your expectations. But it's still pretty exciting when you're you know a fan of an organization like the Blue Jays and you get to see one of these guys make a jump. Oh yeah, no, for sure. I mean, he's got tons of tools. He's going to be a good outfielder. Um, you know, in, in order to be a two-time athlete uh, or a two-sport athlete like he was at the levels that he was, I mean, we're talking about SEC football here. We're not talking about, um, you know, he, he went off to play D3. That Everybody who's seen him really likes the athleticism. Uh, the fact that he's hitting is, again, there's lots of reason for optimism. Um, but you can also be over-optimistic in terms of thinking that he was ready for the majors right now. Um, so I'm still high on him. I think he's going to be a great piece for the Blue Jays going forward. Uh, you know, that's uh, something they're going to need again if they want to turn the, this season around the way it's gone so far. But um, yeah, I mean, I'm not as much as I was saying before. You know, this may not have been the time. I think the time is still going to come where Anthony Alford is certainly going to be a good major leaguer. 
So that's three strikes for this week's edition of the show before the show podcast coming up. We are going to hear from one of the top young arms in all of minor league baseball and a guy who has made a very big and very loud impact with the class a advanced Lynchburg Hillcats this year, the Carolina league is just 19 years old. Tristan McKenzie has struck out 58 batters and 45 innings pitched this season through eight starts for the uh, redesigned Hillcats in 2017. Uh, Tristan McKenzie, the third ranked prospect in the Cleveland Indians organization, joins the show coming up next. Headed to the Carolina League and the Cleveland Indians organization where we find the third-ranked prospect in that system and MLB.com's number 50 overall in all the minor league baseball, the 19-year-old right-hander Tristan McKenzie. Tristan, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm doing well. How are We're you great. Thanks for joining us. It's uh, It's been a terrific start of the year for you with Class A Advanced Lynchburg. Eight starts so far this season at 2.60 ERA, 58 strikeouts in 45 innings. You had a 14-strikeout game. You got a Carolina League Pitcher of the Week honor under your belt already. Uh, and all this at 19 years old, pretty solid. What uh, what has this start to the season felt like for you? Uh, I mean, I think it's just a lot of development on my part. Uh, I'm really working hard with my coaches, really working hard with my other teammates, just kind of working on my game and seeing what areas I can get better in. And I think it's translating to the field really well. Tristan, you go out this year, and this is a big level to jump to, and uh, a CBA round pick, competitive balance round pick in 2015. You made four appearances, three starts for the rookie-level AZL Indians in your debut season in 2015. Last year, 15 outings combined between Mahoning Valley and Lake County. And then all of a sudden, you get thrown into the Carolina League, which is such a tough jump, and you've handled it really well. What's been the biggest adjustment from that those two levels last year in short-season class? A and full season class A to this level this year. You've already made over half of the appearances you made last season in 2017 now with eight starts. What's been the biggest adjustment for you? Uh, just kind of pitching to my strengths and learning that uh, I got to fight a little harder with these hitters. The hitters are more developed here and more, a little more advanced. So I got to find different ways to get them out and I got to find different ways to go deeper into the game, help my team out a little bit better. And uh, as Tyler mentioned, you know, you made 15 appearances last year, already eight this year. But w- what was this offseason like preparing, knowing that, you know, you were probably going to be with a club in April, trying to, you know, pitch for April all the way to August or even September? Um, what was this offseason like trying to prep for that full season? Uh, I mean, I don't really think it changed much. Just kind of knowing that I'm going to have to get my body ready, get my mentally, get my mind mentally ready for uh, a longer season and just kind of know that I'm going to be in there for the long haul. And uh, Tyler mentioned too, just your strikeout numbers this year, 58 and 45 innings. Um, Just in terms of stuff, you know, you said this has been a development year for you. What, how do you feel like your stuff has changed this year or has it gotten sharper as the year gone on? What what are you kind of focusing on stuff wise? Uh, I mean, I think right now I'm focusing on more just attacking the zone just kind of letting the guys put the ball in play. So I may not get 14 strikeouts every game, but, I mean, hopefully I'll be able to go deeper in the games. Let's talk about that 14-strikeout game. You go out against Lynchburg on May 9th, and six innings, one hit, one walk, 14 Ks, um, and you guys roll to a 4-1 to victory over Carolina at home. What was that game like from your perspective, being able to go out and really just dominate guys? And I would imagine it, it kind of feels, once you get to the end of it, like you don't want to come out, but after 14 Ks, especially relatively early in the season, 92 pitches, you get done after six. Tell us about that day. Uh, I mean, it was just one of those days for me. I think I was really locked in, and everything was working for me. 
Uh, I don't know if they were seeing the ball or what it was, but the ball was coming out of my hand really well. Tristan, on this staff, um, you've got a really talented group of guys around you, and in that system, there's been so much pitching talent that's come through over the last several years. There are a lot of guys on that roster right now um, that it seems like you can learn from, you can bounce stuff off of, especially older guys or guys who have been through the level before. Who are some of the guys you've enjoyed interacting with or working with, whether pitchers or catchers? Uh, I mean, before you got moved up, I took a lot of advice from Thomas Pannone guy who's had success in this level and he's moved up to double and he's had success at that level as well um i also talked to matt esparza i talked to my coach rigo beltran uh i talked to daniel salters our catcher i talked to martin Travenka, our catcher just kind of getting different insights on how to attack guys and how i can use my use my stuff to, to get haters out at this level. Tell us about Martin Cervanke. He's such an interesting story. He's a Czech Republic native and I know has played for the Czech national team uh, at various international competitions and that's, you know, we hear about guys from some far-flung places. Czech Republic has a surprisingly decent baseball community there, but working with somebody who probably brings a, a fairly different perspective than some of the other catchers that you worked with. What's it been like working, working with Martin this year and in the past? Uh, I mean, I... I through through to Martin a little bit when I got moved out to Lake County last year, so I'm really comfortable with him behind the dish. So I mean, there's a level of communication there that I that I don't really have with the with the other catchers, and I mean, I'm really comfortable with him back there. And uh, Tristan, just going back to the the strikeout issue that we were talking about before, um, you know, I, Tyler and I we both talked to our fair share of pitchers in the minors. Some some care about strikeouts, some don't. Um, first, where do you kind of fall on that spectrum? Um, in terms of getting your outs via the K? And also, are you keeping tabs, whether it's a 14 strikeout outing or you know anything else, are you keeping tabs on how many you're striking out or, as the game's going along? Uh, I mean, strikeouts matter, but I'm not necessarily taking, taking uh, great care and paying attention to when they're happening. And uh, one thing I wanted to talk to you, too, about was just Tyler mentioned, you know, the 2015 draft with you. You take them 42nd overall, um, you know, out of Royal Palm Beach High School in Florida. What was that process like for you? you? You were only 17 at the time. You know, you don't know any different. That's that's when you were ready to be taken. But most guys don't go through that at that age, that young. Uh, what was the process like for you? And then getting taken by the Indians and the decision to go pro. Uh, I mean, at the time, it was I wouldn't say overwhelming. It was just a lot. So, I mean, there was a lot of time where I had to just sit and think about my situation, think, think, sit and think about the position that I was in and just kind of slow down and take it all in just to make the right decision. And in my mind, I think I did. Tristan, one of the things that people talked about with you coming out of school and as you develop into a pro is your physical projectability. Um, a big guy at 6'5", you're listed at 165, so kind of one of the, the thinner guys, which I think really adds a lot of deception and can help a lot on the mound. And Think about some of the guys who made it to the big leagues in recent seasons. I know Carl Edwards Jr. kind of stands out as one of those guys um, where people talked about that coming in. And I know in an interview you gave with Baseball America this year, you said there's a lot that goes into just physically conditioning-wise, monitoring your calorie intake, all that kind of kind of stuff to make sure that your body is where you want it to be. What has that been like since you've gotten into pro ball and gotten into full season ball and working on handling the workload of a full season's length of work? Uh, I mean, all of it just kind of comes down to just off-field stuff, just nutrition, uh, weightlifting and stuff like that, just tailoring it to my needs. And I think that the Indians have done a really good job with that, and I'm working really hard with them to just kind of 
meet the goals that they set for me. And, and what what is that kind of like? I mean, that, that's not t- usually something we normally talk about with the guys. It's just the nutrition part of it, and that's becoming such a bigger part of the game. Um, you know, are they listing out foods you're allowed to eat, what you're not allowed to eat, or is it, um, you know, what they bring to the ballpark? I mean, what is that conversation like? Uh, I mean, it, it kind of varies from guy to guy. For me personally, I feel like it's more just monitoring what I'm eating and kind of getting as much as I can in any spot that in any any spot possible. Uh, and there, there was one I wanted to touch on quickly with you. Just the last thing you retweeted um, was somebody calling you the doc and saying you were back writing prescriptions today. <laughs> uh, I have an idea of where that might come from, but where does that nickname come from? From your uh, no, uh, I w- I've always wanted to be a doctor, so that was my nickname when I was little. And I guess it just kind of stuck. That's awesome. What kind of medicine did you want to practice? This was like a full, like a lifelong thing. You wanted to be a doctor, and then you realized, like, no, I'm actually really dominant at throwing baseballs. I'll do that first. <laughs> yeah. Um, I wanted to be a cardiac surgeon. Wow. That's amazing. So do you still, I mean, so rarely we talk to guys who, um, you know, are not just really good prospects, but obviously were high-level draft picks and came into pro ball so young. Is that still something you think about? I mean, we, of course, want to see you have 20 more years of professional baseball success, but you think one day that's ever a possibility for you that you get done playing baseball and think, oh, maybe I'll go to med school now? Hopefully I'm successful <laughs> in baseball to the point where, it does, where I don't have to. But, I mean, it crosses my mind, yes. So tell us about you guys right now are uh, are hitting the road. It's a, a long slog. I mean, the Carolina League this year is a different dynamic because it's a 10-team league versus an 8-team league. But you guys hit the road for one of your longer road trips, which is to Wilmington. Being at this stage of the year where it's, you know, you've got your routine, you know what you're doing every five days, and now you're really into the meat of the schedule, um, these road trips and all that stuff, does it just kind of feel like it's business as usual? now you're adjusted to the level you're adjusted to the city you know the ballparks all that type of stuff does it kind of feel like it's just it's back to being a normal job at this point uh i mean i don't really think it's ever changed it's just kind of getting adjusted in these surroundings but i think it's starting to, to fall into place right now and i think it's starting to feel good he is Tristan McKenzie, the third-ranked prospect in the Cleveland Indians organization and the 50th-ranked prospect in all of minor league baseball, according to MLB Pipeline, and a guy who struck out 14 in a start this year and has been dominant to begin the season with the Class A Advanced Lynchburg Hillcats, the Carolina League. You can find Tristan on Twitter. He has a T underscore easy, E-A-Z-Y 24. And Tristan, we can't thank you enough for the time, and uh, enjoy Wilmington and the rest of the season, man. We'll be watching. Best of luck. Thank you. You guys have a good day. Tristan McKenzie, the Cleveland Indians organization, is on Twitter. Again, he is at T underscore E-A-Z-Y 24. And a big thanks to him for joining the show today. And with that, we'll pivot to our good pal Benjamin Hill, who is back from California in the office feeling good. How's the tan? Uh, the tan's all right. I didn't really get a tan so much as I got. Excuse me. <laughs> What's going on over there? That might have been too tight, actually. It is. <laughs> if you recall, the last time I did I was going to say, is this the, the issue? The mechanical issue. The last time I did this podcast in uh, New York in our home offices, excuse us. There we go. There it's we go. Yeah. yeah, I uh, complained about how for months Sam had a mic stand with a loose screw, so the mic was always uh, dipping. Yeah. Dipping. I'd say it was it was drooping flaccidly, yeah. and uh, it was hard to talk sometimes because you have to keep adjusting the microphone. So Sam, conscientious individual. 
just took was that like a uh, battery powered screwdriver? It was a battery powered screwdriver because I had to set up IKEA furniture last night. But let's just pretend that I got it exclusively for this mic stand. Absolutely. Well, this this mic is not going anywhere now. So Sam Dykstra, great man. And uh, anyway, what was I talking about? Uh, your tan. My tan. <laughs> oh man, how did we move on? How did we get distracted so from such an so important well. topic? My timing is obviously off. Yeah. Trying to fix this thing. I don't have a good tan, but. Uh, when I was at the Jethawks in Lancaster, um, I got really sunburned in my face because it was so windy that it wasn't very hot. So I spent a Sunday afternoon at the game being like, ah, oh, it's windy, it's not hot. And then that day in my hotel room, my face was bright red because here's something I learned. If it's windy, it doesn't mean the sun's not out and it doesn't mean you won't get burned. So that's the story of my tan. I got a burned face in uh, the Antelope Valley. Okay. It's good to know. I mean, that works out. Last When last we left our hero, Ben Hill, we were uh, one stop away from the end of the California League trip. So Rancho Cucamonga was your last one. And uh, tell us about the Quakes, the uh, Class A advanced affiliate of Los Angeles Dodgers. They're like rehab central, the Quakes, always. Whenever the Dodgers need somebody to go on a rehab assignment, it's generally in Rancho. But the ballpark looks great. The, the franchise looks well run. Tell us about Rancho. Yeah, I had a great time in Rancho. Not only was it um... – the last team in the California League. It was the last stop on my trip, the last team in the California League for me to visit, period, and the last affiliated team in all of California for me to visit. So I felt like I was really checking off a lot of boxes on this Tuesday night in Rancho Cucamonga. You mentioned that it's Rehab Central um, for uh, via their close proximity to their parent club, the Los Angeles Dodgers. And on the night I was there, Adrian Gonzalez was in the starting lineup, and Logan Forsythe was also rehabbing. So you know, it was a fairly slow Tuesday night, but a lot more people were out at the ballpark for that reason. And so many of them in Dodgers gear. I can't remember the last time I was at a minor league club uh, visiting a minor league stadium with so many fans wearing the parent team gear and clearly such dedicated fans of the parent team as well as the minor league team. Um, but the Quakes had never been an organization I wrote too much about, you know, from afar, where I'm looking for more of the attention-getting stuff, um, you know, when I'm just sitting in the, in the New York office here. And the Quakes had never really been a team I'd covered too much. And so it's always interesting me, to me to visit a team I'd never been to and uh, get a sense of the operation. And I really liked Rancho Cucamonga, just a well-run, friendly, clean, um, just dedicated environment. And it's the same ownership group as uh, – the Tri-City Dust Devils. And it, and once I was, uh, my evening in Rancho got underway, I thought, you know, this is a lot like the Tri-City Dust Devils, same thing. A team I hadn't thought much about until I visited and then was really impressed with the operation. Just a, uh, you know, solid front-to-back operation. And in Rancho, it used to be called the Epicenter, which is a great name for a oh, ballpark. You know, now it's Lone Mart Field, I guess, the you know, the reality of the economic realities. But really interesting ballpark, um, surrounded by uh, other baseball fields. You know, co- it's like a the centerpiece of a baseball complex and uh, palm trees and a lot of room to move outside the stadium and a pretty idyllic baseball environment. Uh, I'd say the overall most idyllic in the, in the Cal league in terms of the larger surroundings. And just to go back to the thing you were talking about rehab, because I feel like that's not something we usually touch on in in the podcast or on the site in terms of major leaders getting sent on rehab assignments. But from your view, uh, you mentioned people wearing jerseys and all that kind of stuff. Um, but what is the atmosphere different when there's like the main attraction is a major league rehabber as opposed to a promo or something? Is it more like bringing people who wouldn't normally go to a minor league game or does does it feel the same from your point of view? I mean, overall it's the same in that operationally the team's going to operate the same way, but yeah, it's going to bring a certain type of fan, maybe one who's more, um, 
you know, dedicated to the parent club than the typical affordable family friendly minor league experience. And uh, it was interesting. You know, Logan Forsythe was certainly in demand before the game for autographs. But, you know, Adrian Gonzalez is a whole nother level uh, in terms of being an MLB star. And it was just interesting to watch the way the team had to adjust operationally logistically uh, for having a star of that magnitude. You know, they put up barriers in front of what, where he would exit from the clubhouse um, after the game and fans started lining up like you know, innings and innings before uh, that he might leave so they could get his autograph as soon as he stepped out. And the team had to be prepared. You know, they said they, they learned their lesson on that front because if they don't, you know, do some crowd control and uh, have a coherent system for the players to leave, they'll just get swarmed when it's a guy of uh, Adrian Gonzalez's nature. And even... You know, the quakes before the game, like a lot of teams do, um, every player in the starting lineup uh, was accompanied by a kid from a youth team. So one of the lucky kids got to just happen to run out onto the field uh, with Adrian Gonzalez. And then as soon as the national anthem ended, every single kid <laughs> abandoned the player he was with and swarmed Adrian Gonzalez. <laughs> so I didn't get a very good picture of it, but I still liked it a lot um, of you know, the pitcher on the mound, you know, throwing in a few pregame tosses right before the game begins. And then Adrian Gonzalez right by first base with like 10 kids in a swarm around him, you know, as the game's supposed to start. Then after the game, he did a press conference in the uh, in the dugout. And, uh, you know, it was a very mild affair, maybe 10 media members. And um, after that, you know, there's still fans lined up and down you know, the front rows of the stands trying to get his autographs. And he did for a while. And then he just sort of said, all right, that's it. I got to go. Um, it, it always makes you realize when you're a star of that magnitude that it's just kind of endless demands on your time. And on one hand, you think like, you know, these guys came out to see him. They love him. They support him. You know, why not spend the time to do some autographs? But on the other, like you're trying to rehab, get healthy, do your job. And to constantly have those distractions is tough. And it's the minor league team's job to both promote the major league, major leaguers appearance. They want fans to come see him, but also do what they can to make sure he's not swarmed and crushed by the extra attention. So it's a delicate balance there and an interesting thing, interesting thing to see, you know, up close whenever it happens. You can find that and uh, every other California league stop from Ben strip at bensbiz.mlblogs.com as well. As some stories up at the site, MILB.com. Uh, Rancho Cucamonga has a, a mascot who has been there for 20 years. There aren't many minor league teams that have any employees that are tenured 20 years. So that's pretty impressive too uh but ben we've got some like exceedingly exciting ben's biz news that i don't even want to introduce i want you to introduce it because that's how cool it is right I, i've mentioned this on the podcast before i think a little prematurely last time in which i kind of mixed up my schedule a little bit but check this out uh tomorrow i'm talking to you guys on tuesday Tomorrow, Wednesday, May 24th, the Topps Pro Debut set comes out, and there is a 15-card Ben's Biz insert set um, featuring 15 cards curated by me, all based around people, places, things that I countered in my travels. Um, I did the, the write-ups on the back of the cards and took a lot of the photos, and I went to the Topps office today and got my personal supply of the Ben's Biz cards, and uh, maybe we can coordinate down the line some, some giveaways and extra ways to promote it, but... It's super exciting. I mean, this morning I was in the Topps office and meeting with Topps employees and they're showing me, you know, my baseball cards. And um, as someone who grew up, you know, in the my really became a fan in the, in the mid 80s as a little kid and, you know, starting with 86 Topps, 87 Topps, 88, you know, I was obsessed with Topps. And I still look at baseball stats 
you know, games at bats, runs, hits, doubles, triples, home runs, you know, in the order that they used to be on tops cards. And it really contextualized uh, my love of, you know, stats and obsessing over things and baseball in general and the pictures on the front. So anyway, to stumble into this job, have it turn into something. And now in the year 2017, I've got my own tops cards. So I'm pretty psyched about it and pretty excited to share them. Uh, with everyone and 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 through doing this, I was able to give a lot of people who wouldn't get baseball cards their own baseball cards. You know, the, the Toastman in West Virginia and the uh huh guy in Kannapolis. I gave a toilet its own baseball card. I think that's a first in Jamestown. The press box toilet huh. has its own baseball card. Um, you know, the uh, Kannapolis Intimidator or the um, Hickory Crawdads uh, Clawlossal has its own card. The South Bend's uh, Cubs, uh, their team synagogue or their synagogue turned team store has a, has a card. So it's, it's really bizarre stuff. Uh, I hope if you like autographs, you know, you'll try to uh, go on a wild scavenger hunt throughout America to track the, some of these people. The Jamestown toilets yeah. autograph. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so I'm curious to see the response, curious to see how this grows. Really grateful for the partnership. Stay tuned for more information. I mean, we just talked about the California trip. I've got in-depth blogs coming on that trip as well as a lot of articles, uh, pretty much running Fridays throughout the month on that trip. But in the midst of that, I'll do a lot of posts too, highlighting each individual baseball card, explaining the story behind it, providing more detail, uh, X, Y, and Z. And I'm sure we'll have other ways to promote it. Kind of come about, uh, you know, once this becomes officially official and, and what have you. But, you know, follow me on Twitter, Ben's Biz, read the blog, you know, follow Tops, and uh, you can get more information on this. And uh, I'm really excited about it. I only have one card that's really me. And uh, I'm throwing out a toilet paper first pitch in Wisconsin on salute to paper night. And that's my card. So, you know, send it to me. We were saying, send me a self-addressed stamp envelope yeah, and right. I'll, <laughs> I'll sign for you. Um, but I'm, I'm really psyched about it. I really am. So, um, you know, uh, what can I say? Ben's biz, baseball cards. I, I never thought I'd see the day. Right. So let's just go over again just so people really know exactly how they can get their hands on this. Not only just through tops, but what plans you kind of have to, to get these to the masses or just certain individuals as, as the year rolls along? Well, I think a lot of these uh, plans are not fully formulated yet, but uh, certainly on my next trip. My next trip is uh, June 20th and doing almost the entirety of the Pioneer League and uh, the Salt Lake Bees. You know, I think on my trips from here on out, I'll bring uh, – the cards and uh, and I'll bring some you know sort of complete insert sets all 15 Ben's Biz cards and find ways to meet people at the ballpark and give them away. Uh, might uh, you know I haven't been promoting the Ben's Biz T-shirts because I'm not really a self promoter, but uh, I think sales on them have stagnated. So maybe uh, you can get some free uh, Ben's Biz insert sets if you order a T-shirt. To be determined, but I think that's a possibility. Uh, I think I'll be revisiting the Tops offices next week and possibly do some you know, Facebook live, uh, type video, uh, kind of explaining some of the cards and participating in, in an unboxing of the pro debut set. Um, so a lot is to, to be determined, but, uh, we'll find ways to get it out there. And as I said before, you know, read the blog and I'll do specific posts on the cards and give the stories behind them and, uh, you know, just try to have some fun with this. Cause that's really all I'm trying to do is, you know, dive into this weird world. And I think even still people don't realize how weird and diverse and vast it is. And I'm trying my best to highlight it. And, uh, 
you know, get the weirdos a little action for once. It's pretty cool. Um, you can find all of the information uh, on that by following Ben on Twitter. He is at Ben's Biz, and uh, we'll we'll talk about a, a promotion thing coming up this week. It is promo watch for uh, this last full week of May in 2017, and there's a really really cool promotion in the offing that's going to be coming up really over the course of the rest of the season in the AAA International League. Um, it has been 100 years since the United States entered World. World War One. It's actually a little over 100 years now. April 2nd, 1917, Woodrow Wilson uh, presented a request to a joint session of Congress to, to enter World War One, and we were talking before we got started recording this segment, it's probably the least known major American war and being, you know, three nerds like we are who love baseball and love history. This is a crossover that we don't often get to see. The international league is going to help out in commemorating the world war one, uh, era in the United States, which only lasted 1917 and 1918 when the war ended. Um, but a, a pivotal conflict, a pivotal chapter in American history and a whole bunch of IL teams are going to join in and honoring that memory. Tell us about this. this is a really cool program that's been established this year. Right. Well, in 2013, an organization called the U.S. World War One Centennial Commission was established uh, through bipartisan legislation, and uh, you know their mission is to, uh, you know, as uh, the man I spoke to who works as a senior advisor for this committee, you know, he said we were created to coordinate and organize events in commemoration of World War One, and so they have a variety of events, and it's all dedicated to um, educating people about World War One, trying to tie in the role of their hometown and their state in World War One, um, encouraging people to learn about their family members who may have served in World War One, et cetera, et cetera. Obviously, this is a war that had a tremendous impact on American, obviously on America at the time they were in the war, but obviously had tons of repercussions in terms of uh, how America was shaped in the hundred years since. And, and uh, despite that, it has been kind of you know the, the so-called forgotten war or one of the forgotten wars of U.S. history, and, and certainly for how major it was, it's kind of underpublicized. So long story short, uh, this commission, the World War One Centennial Commission, has partnered with the International League and starting uh, last Saturday, May 20th, which was Armed Forces Day, and extending through June 4th, you know, past Memorial Day weekend, 10 different teams are doing promotions in the International League um, to promote the the efforts of the U.S. World War One Centennial Commission. And uh, one of the constants of the promotions is that fans will get poppy seeds at the gate and i felt like i know american history fairly well and i didn't quite know the poppy seed significance in world war one but you know there was a poem um was it in in flanders fields and uh you know that that song was about the poppies that grew on the battlefield it was the only uh, only flower that that grew you know on the scorched earth after a horrible uh, you know battle in World War One, so the poppies became a symbol of uh, remembrance and and hope amid, you know, the turmoil and the struggle and the horrors of war, and um, you know, it's very much a symbol of World War One. So fans get poppy seeds when they come into the ballpark, and um, then the promotions from there will vary, you know, state by state, team by team, because there's going to be local elements. You know, he told me in Norfolk they have a mobile history van and people can bring the World War One uh, records and memorabilia of their relatives and get them scanned and archived and learn more about their That's really cool. you know, family's history and, and et cetera, et cetera. So just a, a cool partnership. Uh, it'll definitely be different from team to team, but 10 of the 
how many teams in the international league? 14, I believe. Correct. So 10 of the 14 have done or are doing a World War, a World War One um, commemoration tied in with this centennial commission that has been established to do just that, to teach people about the significance and impact of World War One and tie it into, uh, again, their local f- history and when applicable family history. And, um, well, just in terms of who was kind of driving this, was this is was this led by the IL? Was this all these teams grouping together? I mean, how? Why is this the IL that's that's doing this and not necessarily? Well, I think you know, like some, that. like some. I think there is a potential for other leagues to do this, and maybe my article will help give it some promotion. And uh, the the guy I talked to, Roger Fisk, a senior advisor for the uh, commission, it was very passionate about you know the work he's doing. Uh, it started in the International League because. He knows Josh Olrood, who's the president of the Scranton Wilkesbury Rail Riders. And, you know, this guy in this organization is based in D.C., as you would expect. Not surprisingly, Josh Olrood used to be based near D.C. with the Potomac Nationals. So he had a, you know, he's like, I know this guy, Josh Olrood, who's now in Scranton. He called him up, said, Hey, here's the work I'm doing. Are you interested? Josh Olrood said, Yeah, and put him in touch with Randy Mobley. Mobley, I always say his name wrong, the president (laughs) of the International League. Every time, and every time I hear it, I'm like, that's what it is, and I'll never mispronounce it again. Um, but he got in touch with the president of the International League who said, like, let's make this as league-wide as possible. So like so many stories, it's personal connections. One guy knows a guy who says, let me put you in touch with someone else, and therefore it's the International League. And it makes sense in the International League in that the International League has its roots way back um, over 100 years. So it was actually an active league when World War One hit. Um, shut down, I think, temporarily, as almost every minor league did, minor league team did, and minor league did in the wake of the war, and even the major league season in 1918 uh, ended on Labor Day, so that uh, the players could kind of recalibrate and possibly, you know, be part of the war effort. It's uh, really interesting history. The World War One and baseball crossover is really interesting. In uh, there was a a court case. Basically, everybody who was anybody of a of working or fighting age or ability was supposed to get a job that could contribute to the war effort. So baseball shut down basically to force players to go get jobs, either serving or working in a capacity that would help the war effort. In 1918, they ended the season early. And uh, of course, there were scandals, the the Black Sox scandal that followed. There was some suggestion that maybe the Chicago Cubs had thrown a World Series uh, prior to that because players were a little bit miffed with ownership. There's a lot of really interesting crossover there. And uh, if you're interested in history and that type of stuff, read up on it because it's really fascinating. And it's neat that baseball is embracing its role and being able to honor these. So you can check that out. Uh, Ben'sBiz.mlblogs.com is the is the blog site and promo watch is at milb.com. There's a lot of other cool stuff coming up this week as well. Corpus Christi Hooks will do Dia de los Hooks, which will uh, feature three nights of Dia de los Muertes festivities, the Day of the Dead. Um, they got some really awesome uniforms. These hats are fantastic for the hooks. You can find that at Promo Watch. Hickory Crawdads, they are celebrating uh, their 25th anniversary season 25 seasons not their 25th anniversary but they're home on the 25th of every month this season which is really cool and if the crawdads score five or more runs in the fifth inning somebody gets twenty five thousand dollars uh the erie seawolves have a michael fulmer bobblehead giveaway uh the chattanooga lookouts have a jackie mitchell bobblehead giveaway uh there's some really that's a big one one. tell us about that one because that one's pretty cool well, if you know the story of Jackie Mitchell, uh, Engel Field, where the Chattanooga Lookouts played for a long time, in 1931, 
She was a local you know, baseball softball standout, still a teenager, who was signed to essentially a one-day contract with the Lookouts for an exhibition game against the Yankees and struck out uh, Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig back-to-back and then you know, has forever been in baseball history for that. So Chattanooga, the Lookouts, you know, who exist to this day, obviously, honoring her with a bobblehead is pretty cool. And uh, I think that's one that people are going to have a lot of interest in. And, uh, you know, I'm not for the resale market, but I bet this is going to be one that has uh, demand way beyond Chattanooga. Uh, so that's on uh, May 27th, which is what? Saturday in Chattanooga with the Lookouts. And uh, great story there. As you mentioned, a lot of stuff going on. It's that time of year. So much is going on. So, you know. We can just talk forever. I feel like we have talked for today. A long it's time, been a good so. one. It's been jam packed. Um, one last note: in case you thought the Harambe meme was dead, it's not in Fresno. On May twenty eighth, it is the one year anniversary of Harambe's death, and the Fresno Grizzlies will be hosting bats for Harambe night. Right, and if you read that other little note I have about the Grizzlies, on Jurassic Park night, they're playing as the Tacos and introducing Taco Saurus, who is quote. <laughs> Pretty much a T-Rex with a taco for a body. The idea so far is that he will be constantly chasing and trying to eat Taco's mascot, Cilantro Gomez, but his arms are too short to catch him. So check that out. (laughs) Ah, Fresno. There's always something going on. Thanks, Ben. You're welcome, guys. You're always welcome. Our thanks, as always, to Tristan McKenzie of the Cleveland Indians organization and Benjamin Hill, who you can find at Ben's Biz on Twitter. Check out the blog, bensbiz.mlblogs.com. It's a really cool promo watch this week. Um, and it, it, like I said, very rarely do we get a chance to nerd out for those of us who like, you know, history and international things and also baseball to be like, hmm, the World War II memorials. This is so cool. <laughs> but it's a, it's a good story. That's We normally reserve that for our minor league baseball and history. Yeah, which we, we just – is our weekly chat, but we don't write. Sam and I wear smoking jackets, and we have pipes and nerdy glasses, and we drink snifters of port. Roll up next to the fire. Oh, and and yeah. today we shall discuss the 1919 <laughs> AA Georgia League. Um, this week, coming up on MILB TV, Sam and I are both going to the Pacific Coast League, I believe. You can find all the best and brightest in 2017 on MILB.TV. Get your subscription. You can watch for the rest of the season as first half races start to heat up. So many of the minor leagues, of course, crown a first half champion that heads on to the postseason we're a month away from finding out who the first half champions are in a lot of these full season leagues not all of them the pcl is one of those that does not do that but we're still going to talk about the pcl here in our watch mill tv segment uh i'm going to go with the AAA affiliate of the Arizona Diamondbacks. The D-backs have started well this season, and their AAA affiliate in Reno has done the same. So far this year, uh, as we record this on Tuesday, the Aces are a game back of the first place Tacoma Rainiers in the PCL's Pacific Northern Division. But this year, Reno as a team is batting 307 as a team with a 490 slugging percentage. As a team, they've hit 51 home runs so far this season. That is second most in the PCL, actually third most in the PCL behind Nashville and Oklahoma City. Uh, but those two teams are in the bottom half of the league in terms of offense. Reno has three of the top four hitters in the circuit. Uh, Cattell Marte has batted 396 in 42 games. Oswaldo Arcia batted 376 in 34 games. And Ray Fuentes, who is now in the D-backs organization, has batted 376 as well in 34 games. That is a power-packed and very offensively loaded roster. And Reno hits the road to Iowa to take on the Cubs AAA affiliate this season in Des Moines coming up this weekend from uh, Friday through Sunday. Yeah, so uh, stay, uh, sticking in the PCL, I've got my eye on uh, this Sunday. Uh, Colorado Springs travels to Nashville. Uh, they have a scheduled doubleheader right now. 
Um, game starting at 3.05 Mountain Time, so I guess that's 5 o'clock Eastern Time. And then there's a game following that. Um, this Colorado Springs lineup, all sorts of things to like there. Lewis Brinson, Brett Phillips is having a, a tremendous year back. Ryan Cordell, we've talked about those pieces before. Um, I think the way things are lining up, Brandon Woodruff is going to start one of those games. He's the number eight prospect in that loaded Brewer system, uh, 3.02 ERA. 42 strikeouts and 44 and two-thirds innings. But it's not just them that I, I'm excited to see. Um, them traveling to Nashville, you know, Franklin Barreto's on that team. Matt Olson's on that team. Matt Chapman, who we talked to earlier this year, is on that team. He's starting to get hot for the Nashville Sounds. Um, so a lot of power, a lot of interesting pieces on both sides, and you get them two for the price of one uh, this weekend yeah, on that Sunday. roster is loaded. I think I've written three sound stories over the last two weeks because they are really, really loaded with offensive talent. So you can check all that out at MILB.TV and a whole lot more as we near the finish line in the month of May in the 2017 season. And that'll do it for this week's edition of the Show Before the Show podcast. Again, you can find us on iTunes and on the Stitcher app and give us a rating and a review and a subscription. Sam is on Twitter. He is at Sam Dykstra, M-I-L-B. I am at Tyler Mon, And you can get in touch with the show podcast at MILB.com. Send us your questions about prospects or anything else that you have on your mind. We'll be talking about the MLB draft coming up pretty soon. That's in a couple of weeks and getting you set for the start of short season ball, which will follow toward the end of June. We're headed into the meat of the minor league season in 2017 and excited to have you along with us. For Sam Dykstra, I'm Tyler Maughan. We'll talk to you next week. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.